Welcome to the Master Retention Podcast, where we talk to top mobile game experts about their experiences running successful games. This podcast is presented by UserWise, the live ops engine for your game. If you're interested in a demo, please reach out at userwise.io. Thousands of games are made each year, and very few go on to have great success. And for the ones that do have success, these games are rarely sitting atop the charts years down the road. Creating a successful game is hard, but maintaining that game's success and daily active users is beyond difficult. This week, Tom speaks with Jonathan Durr, studio director and co-founder at Fox Bear Games. They'll be talking about long-term content treadmills, what metrics are useful when trying to maintain a game for years, and consulting with your game's most fanatical users. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. Uh, today, I am super pleased to have Jonathan Durr with me, uh, co-founder of Fox Bear Games. And Jonathan, you've been working on a lot of really awesome games for a long time. Uh, before we delve into everything, though, um, I always like to ask, like, what's your story? How'd you get into games? Yeah, uh, so let's see here. When I finished up college, I knew I wanted to do something where art and story kind of met. And the uh, I was looking for what I was going to do as my next step. And I looked in the newspaper to date myself and saw a tester <laughs> position available at Tiburon, uh, you know, from EA. And they do Madden and sports games like that. So I applied there and um, got in as a tester and worked uh, in QA for four years before transitioning into uh, game design. That's awesome. One of the few that worked their way up. I, I love it. Yeah. Um, cool. And then you kind of progressed, did some time at THQ, Kabam, Foxnet, and now Fox Bear. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about Fox Bear. Like, how did that come about? Why did you guys decide to start a company? Yeah. Uh, so, Wildlife, um, um, you know, came to me with this incredible opportunity to. Um, almost had like a, a publisher sponsorship um, over, over uh, our studio, um, said, would you be interested in this and, and making a studio that, that you guys have kind of creative control over, we'll, we'll fund it and, and support you. And um, uh, they've just been in a tremendous partner over this last year as we're, as we're developing our, our first project. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't heard of too many other companies doing that. I know, um, I've seen Tencent do it with maybe like one or two kind of studios, but that's, that's super awesome. Um, so did they come in and kind of have certain games or genres or things that they were kind of, you know, intrigued by, or did they just say, Jonathan, we love you go make whatever games you want to make. Or... Yeah. I mean, they, they gave us a wide um, platform to, to play with, you know, that kind of like, Here's their Rolodex. They're not looking for hyper casual right now or, or some like real big games, um, you know, gigantic Forex games that take huge teams five years to build, yep. um, which aligns with me, you know, and, and, and my skill set. And um, they've got a couple other studios going that are awesome. The, the guys that did Merge Dragons and uh, The Sims and um, the, the guys from Fire Monkeys have, have gotten some studios got in the, oh, wow. the Tune Blast guys. So we've got like a real impressive uh, mm. Rolodex of other studios uh, that we're able to um, start sharing our ideas with and getting feedback from, and uh, it'll be exciting to see how this journey uh, uh, continues. That's awesome. So I'm curious, and 
feel free to share as much as you want. Um, but I feel like a lot of uh, game studios, especially mobile game studios these days, are just increasingly facing bigger and bigger challenges in terms of, uh, you know, finding your blue ocean and the red ocean, uh, what game is actually going to set it apart. And, um, and I've seen some good good games that are have just gotten killed in soft launch because you know they weren't scalable or for whatever reason you know the metrics weren't there um i'm curious like what's your kind of unique approach to thinking about new game ideas and you know ultimately figuring out what's going to be our shot on goal yeah uh, i'm glad you brought that up i mean you look at i look at kabam recently right and they're phenomenal um but you know they've they've put out a string here where it's like these amazing games what was the one future realm and um future revolution or th- those, those games that just are tremendous from a production quality yep. um didn't didn't you know didn't stick so making games is hard um yeah. i think you just kind of take your your best guess um hopefully you've got some data to um provide with it uh to support that there's there's an audience there that wants this thing that you can scale it um, <clears throat> These are smart people, you know, that that don't get it right sometimes um, for whatever reason. So uh, I don't know if you figure out how to make a success every go around. Uh, let us know. <laughs> well, you know, here's maybe a slightly different um, variant of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were kind of a, a key part of the Marvel Strike Force. Um, I think anytime you're making a new game, especially kind of a bigger game, you've got to look at the features. And, and I think there's, you know, always a certain set of features that players expect from a certain genre. Um, but then usually there's some kind of changed or addition feature or something that solves a problem that they're facing or, you know, otherwise why would they, you know, come to your game? Um, right. So I'm curious, like, what was your guys' process when you were approaching Marvel Strike Force for figuring out which features to build and why? Yeah. We had some real strong comps out there, you know, with Heroes Charge and Galaxy of Heroes and, and other uh, games in the hero collector genre. Um, when looking at it, you know, we were we were intimately familiar. Um, I know you talk also a lot about like going out there and getting player feedback uh, when you get going on stuff. So I, I had a fun time trying to um, uh, track down different players that were, you know, elite players and whether it was Star Wars or Heroes Charge or Summoner's War. Um, uh, I got my uh, uh, exposure to them by finding content creators that were part of these top alliances and asking them if they could, you know, make some uh, contacts for me with uh, with the the players in their alliances, and then just kind of interviewed them one on one. You know, like what is it that you love about this game? Um, uh, what keeps you coming back? What interests you? What problems are you having? Kind of like you said. Um, so that helped, but that didn't create what we made, you know, we had assumptions and I think for me, it more um, tested that my assumptions were, were right or wrong on some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were off to the races on that part. Uh, for the features, you know, um, I like to look at it as like, what is each feature going to provide that's a unique experience? Um, you know, so uh, I want to have a, a PVP mode in there. I want to have a PVE mode. I want to have an alliance versus environment mode and this alliance <laughs> mode and if anything starts duplicating that you know what new is it adding to it is it going to do something that helps drive retention or, or for us one of our big kpis was regularity um getting players to play 
every day and thinking about it like that. So how do these different features help contribute to regularity um, and, and um, get me something excited to show up for uh, every day? So I've got a lot of questions and I'm gonna come back to you, but mm -hmm. um, I've honestly never heard of regularity before as like a metric that people track. How is that different in terms of like regularity versus retention or yeah, how does that focus work? Yeah, so regularity is, um, like I said, it's, it's a metric of once you get a player to show up seven days, seven consecutive days, they're now a, a regular. Um, and in theory, if they show up seven consecutive days, if you start looking at your data, um, they've got like a 98% chance of showing up the next day. Um, mm -hmm. If they only show up four of seven days, there's kind of a 50% chance that they'll show up the next day. Uh, and when you start diving into it, regulars are what really makes up like 70 to 80% probably of, of your business um, mm. and your revenue, the, the people that just love the game, love showing up every day. Um, so what being able to look at a game through the eyes of regulars, I think it does a couple of things. One, you get kind of a philosophical way of thinking about your designs. It's not so much um, how do I get this person to show up on day seven, but more how do I get them to show up every day? What experiences are we going to offer um, what's those chases going to be that, that breadcrumb them through, um, social is a big part of that, I think, as you know, just from retention side. Uh, but the other part that's really useful with understanding regularity is it's useful from a data side that removes a lot of the noise. So let's say you've got a, a new release with a big feature that that's coming out and all of a sudden your metrics start dropping a bit. Um, there's so many things that contribute to that. You know, what's happening with UA is a big one, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you look at it just through the eyes of regulars and you filter out um, to that group, uh, these are players that have already been playing your game all the time. They're, they're bought in. Um, did their numbers go up or down? And that gives you a, a bit of a better perspective on mm. what's happening with, with your game. That's really Does that great. Make sense? Yeah, I think so. So digging into that a little bit, you've got your regular players. Have you ever encountered instances where different groups of regular players play the game vastly differently and, and let me give you an example um one of my good buddies um he was working on kind of casual mobile games mostly geared towards women and stuff um but they ended up coming up with two personas because they saw vastly different play style in their game um and i'm gonna get these very wrong so nobody get uh, offended <laughs> here um the the first one was like called schizophrenic nancy um, and they kind of put her in the, the bucket of like, she's just very busy, all this stuff going on in life. And whenever she can, she wants me time and her me time is she pulls out her game and she's get maybe like two or three minutes to like play through a level, like enjoy as much as she can. And then she's, you know, back to the races. And then, uh, I don't even remember the other one, but it was like, uh, planned out Susie, um, and, and Susie would like plan out her day. She wouldn't touch the game until 7 p.m. at night. And then she sits down on the couch and she's got an hour or two hours like blocked off. And that's like just her playing style. And so they kind of had this issue where, okay, we have to make sure that this fun game is super fun and super engaging and all these, you know, two, three minute bursts throughout the game. And we also have to make it fun and engaging and playable for a full two hours straight. Um, even though both of those players might be playing the same amount of total gameplay that day, it's, you know, a very different experience depending on what you're doing. So I'm curious, like, 
when you think about regulars, have you ever encountered, you know, issues where the players are playing vastly differently like that? I think that's, that's true. Um, you know, we could see uh, typically more is more, the more somebody plays, the more they love the game, the more they're sticking around, um, yep. and just engage with it. And so you offer up, um, you know, kind of whatever that upper limit of, of content is, um, knowing that they're going to devour everything that you put forth. And then you've got a question to wrestle with, like, how much is too much? Um, is there too much time? Um, I don't know on that one. Uh, you'll get a lot of complaints if people, especially, you know, as you get two, three years into a game, um, this game kind of is taking up all my time. Um, but is the problem really time investment on that one? Or is it that you're not offering up enough new content or new experiences? So the experience that they did love because they were they were playing it for three hours um, is now starting to get a little stale and they want something freshened up. Um, I think it's usually that one. Um, but... <laughs> Changing that and not breaking your game is 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 a challenge in of itself too. Uh, but I think I think if you were to pull back on time, that that would probably be a worse thing. Uh, as far as like you know the different players though, um, we didn't see too much. I haven't seen too much. I'm sure they're there. You know, obviously there's people that like want to engage in alliances and those that don't. But um, uh, I kind of went after what I thought was our, our core audience and designed an experience around them and others that wanted to, to kind of pick into that experience could do so optionally. Um, and they'll, they'll have a good time. Um, they won't be super competitive at the end of the day. And I'm not sure when they were looking at that, is that a competitive player that's more, you know, in and out for 15 minutes versus the one that plays, you know, yeah. a two hour block. Um, I don't know. Uh, but you know, I think if you design for that competitive player, the the other ones that are just enjoying a good time will will probably have fun and stick around and and that's the experience that they want too. Yeah. So when you guys approach a game, do you think it's best to let's say go and talk to these elite players and design a game with, you know, maybe you get their different opinions, but you kind of group them together, maybe create a persona. And is that the person that you kind of design the game for or do you try to think beyond that? So I, I like this idea of players have time or money, right? And if you imagine a, a grid like that, there's time on one side and money on the other side. And this quadrant is time and money. And this side is neither time or money. Um, and, and looking at it through that lens, uh, I'd recommend you just lop off the side without time and money. Um, that's not your audience. Like they're, they're just opting out of the experience. So trying to make those players happy and like your game is, is going to be an uphill battle. They've already decided, you know, this isn't for them. So then if you look at the other two vectors, um, you know, at the end of the day, the people that have both time and money are the ones that are going to be the most competitive and, and win. they really love your game and are, and are all in on that. Um, and then the, the people that have time or money, they kind of um, do, do equally well, depending on, you know, how hard they go in, in either vector. Um, so I, I, I kind of look at it through, through that lens. Um, and, and like I said, know kind of that upper limit of what, what the most somebody can do just as far as getting through your content goes. Design with, with that in mind, really big tent poles. So they're, they're not just blowing through that, that content um, and, then, uh, and then go from there. Yeah. So thinking about this uh, 
kind of longer term game design, and we'll loop back a little bit here because you said some interesting things. Um, I've seen a lot of games that, <clears throat> I would say, they do really well for, let's say, two, maybe three years, and then they seem to kind of sputter out. And I think if you really pull back the curtain and you dive down into those, in many cases, I think when they were designing them or rolling them out, I don't know if they were in a hurry or whatnot, but they really didn't think too much beyond what meaningful goals are these players going to have three years out and five years out and 10 years out. Um, and, you know, most games haven't been, you know, nearly as successful as Marvel Strike Force. So what approach did you guys take to designing? And, you know, in some cases, you're not going to know what the game looks like three years from now, right? But you could at least have a rough roadmap of some of the things that you could add in so that you continue to have these meaningful goals. Like maybe you just launched the game with, you know, swords having damage, but you know that in three years, we're going to start to add in, you know, elemental modifiers and crit chance and, you know, some of this other things. We have a rough roadmap of how we can continue to extend it. So I'm just kind of curious if, does my question make any sense? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. So I remember going back into soft launch. Um, we didn't have arena in the game at, at, at soft launch as we were testing out. We had a different PVP uh, that we called Blitz um, that's in the game. And that was kind of like an uncapped engagement. Um, you know, you could pretty much play that as much as you want, uh, kind of like Clash Royale's, you know, battling system. Yep. Um, but it was interesting, some of the immediate feedback that we got back from those elite players that we got to try out the game uh, from competitors were like, where's arena? Where's my just, I got two, three matches a day. Am I the strongest to measure myself against? And uh, like, that was pretty eye-opening. It's like, they, they don't want to grind for 20 hours to, to be the best at this. They want to level up their team, um, go smash somebody in the face and, and take their spot. And that's success, right? Which makes a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, you're, you're getting some of that feedback. The other thing that um, I really got a kick out of was talking to um, guys from like Contest or, or other other games about what their elder content was like. And um, we we came up with the idea, uh, a mode called Dark Dimension in our game based on those conversations where it's just the end game chase. Um, there's some really uh, good characters or, or strong rewards and it's really, really hard content that you're gonna have to grind through, you know, you're gonna have to get really strong to get there and then you have to grind through it to, to complete it all. Um, and uh, it gives you kind of that North Star, right? I'm, this is my objective. Uh, and when I complete that, I'll feel, you know, a, a sense of completion from doing it. Um, and that becomes challenging too, because once the players do beat it, they're like, well, what's next for us? So you get on that content treadmill, but that's that's all right. Like that's That means you got a success and, and it's working. Um, uh, but I, I loved that feature just as far as like, yep, you're doing all this stuff and your goal to do it is to complete the dark dimension run. Um, and then we have to keep putting out new dark dimension runs, giving you new harder challenges, um, chases to go after. The other part that I think really, really helps with this is any type of social alliance type feature where my alliance is having to, to fight stronger opponents. Um, and my my obligation to the team is to keep up with them and fulfill my my end of the bargain um, so that we're all winning together. Uh, things like uh, AVA modes, alliance versus alliance modes. So you're getting matched up with equally strong alliances help 
to not have to create a bunch of content. You create the system and then strong alliances, as long as they keep getting stronger, are going to get matched up with each other. So you always have um, something to strive for. You know, are we are we getting getting the latest content? Are we are we leveling up our guys so that we can be the best in these modes? And that'll keep um, you know players engaged uh, for for quite a while as well. I, I think. That's really great. So I've been playing and thinking about Magic the Gathering the Arena a lot lately. <clears throat> and so, you know, I think Magic is one of the longest run games out there forever. And I read an interesting article, <clears throat> which kind of said, one of the main core drivers of the reason is they just, I mean, they have so much content. Um, and the way that they ultimately decided to keep content new and fresh and give people reasons to buy new packs is they implemented this, you know, every three months they release a new uh, deck um, and then they retire one of the old decks. And so, you know, every three months, the meta is effectively changing, um, encouraging players to buy new content or whatever. And you don't have to buy it. You can, you know, grind through it and things like that, but you also might buy it. So it gives them a fresh monetization, but it also changes up the meta, you know, fairly often. And I'm curious for, you know, some of these longer run mobile games, like, do you think that implementing something like that, where it's like a drastic change to the meta on a consistent basis actually makes sense where it is a lot of content to produce, say, um, but like in Clash Royale, I think one of the core reasons why I've seen that game go down from a monetization standpoint is you don't really have any reason to level up more than one deck. And once you get your deck all the way kind of leveled up, well, it's like, well, I could play this other deck, but I'm so far below like there's, I'm punished for doing so. Um, whereas like if the content was maybe a little bit easier to accrue, um, faster to level up, but it changed every three months, there'd be more of a cadence and, you know, maybe cards come back, maybe they go away. You're always having to really think strategically of how do I create the best possible deck with this in the context of Marvel Champions. Oh, those heroes disappeared. Now here are the ones that are left or here's the new ones. Like what's the best possible thing that I can do there? Like, do you think that kind of content treadmill could apply to other games to help extend their lifetimes? Just like, you know, Magic has been around for years and years. Yeah, that's, you know, probably the million dollar question for long term within the the hero collector genre um, is why do I, you know, need to go get my second squad, my third squad, my hundredth character, what <laughs> what value are they bringing into it? Um, and so for us with war, um, you needed, I forget what it was, but like 20 squads in order to fulfill your, your defense as well as your offense for that. Um, we, you know, discuss and you, and you think about like um, that balancing thing that you're talking about with magic and we've seen it with some other games. I think one of the things to consider is if you're a player in that and, and you've dropped, you know, um, several hundred dollars or more on a character and leveling them up, um, how are you going to perceive them now nerfing that character or retiring that character? Um, are you going to be just as likely or uh, likely to go and invest in the next one that comes out if it's going to get kind of taken away from you? Um, it's something to consider. I, I think there's probably a lot of different ways to make successful games. Magic the Gathering is mm -hmm. tremendously successful, right? Um, but yeah, I think you need to, like, they don't have that investment in the cards after you've acquired it, right? It's just the right. one and done 
deal. So maybe that works better with that type of setup than, you know, having to chase end game gear that you keep yeah. creating new content for. Um, there might be a way to pull it off, but that's something to think about. Um, maybe it's a like for one mode, that's one of the main competitive modes. It does that but for another real strong competitive mode. It doesn't have the seasonality. Um, yeah. and, the, and they have that in magic too. And they've got, you know, historic, so you can play your old cards and whatnot too. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I would, I would say that that's probably the thing to watch out for with it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely tempting. And, and the, you know, like you said, the challenge becomes why, you know, three, four, five years in, why do I have to keep getting the new characters? What, what are they um, doing for me that the, the previous ones didn't do? So on that note, uh, let's talk about live ops for kind of long run games. So, you know, you've got your game two, three years in and, you know, maybe the core experience is starting to get a little stale for your players and you need to come up with something new. Like, have you ever encountered that? And if so, how did you handle it? What did you guys end up, you know, coming up with? How did you change things? Yeah, we, um, you know, we, we put together what we call it is like running the show right? And it, it all goes back to regularity. But if you imagine that you're running a, a TV station, um, you know, how am I um, providing players with, with awesome experiences, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, and we would check that we've got something new coming into the game every day, you know, whether it was uh, new events running, um, new characters being released, new offers, new uh, even inbox messages, like whatever. We just wanted something new that you hadn't seen the day before in the game. And uh, I think one of the things that teams that have now kind of gone through multiple years uh, of live ops uh, will will you know need to solve um, is how do you make that sustainable for the team? Because you're you're pushing out a lot of content on a regular basis. Um, stuff's getting broken. You're you're uh, granting back compensation to the player base, which takes more time to to do that. So it's you know how do you how do you pull off this um, making the players happy while also sustaining the team and making the team um, keep their sanity together during all of that. And that uh, I think is something that all teams are probably struggling with, and uh, something you know I think we should do more knowledge sharing about of what's working on that side for sustainability of of the developers. Um, what was the question? I lost it there a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, first off, I, I love that problem because that's one of the main things we talk about a lot on UserWise of how do we, um, you know, improve the, uh, the user experience of setting up all these things because it can be very time consuming. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, core question. Um, what was the core question? It was live ops. It was live yeah, ops. It, it how was do, live ops. It right. was uh, live ops, you know, how do you think about changing the gameplay or adding something like significantly new and different or more of the same, but different to players so that, you know, once that gameplay starts to get stale and it, it always starts to get stale at some point, um, how do you think about changing that or how have you done that successfully? I think, um, you know, you, you ideally are hopefully trying to get out something big once or twice a year that that is a real new experience. You know, a year after we launched Strikeforce, we had war come out um uh so that that's a big thing to look forward to if you can get that on your roadmap um that's awesome offering them new challenges uh from there you probably have a few big beats um throughout the year of different kind of um tentpole events uh that happen uh that get players excited and there's some predictability 
Uh, I'm a big wrestling fan. And so if you think about kind of like wrestling pay-per-views, right? Every year there's WrestleMania, which uh, a lot of people know about, and it's it's a big deal thing. And then from there, there's like two or three other big pay-per-views that that fans are aware of. You always watch SummerSlam, and then there's kind of your your third tier um, events, and then and then the daily stuff. Um, and I think that type of um, uh, pacing is pretty good yeah. for players. They they want something new and exciting, like really big, you know, at least once a year. Um, and then some other real big moments to look forward to. And then the lesser beats that just kind of keep things shaken up. So we'll do, you know, a milestone event where you're just grinding for a certain currency or something like that. Uh, and then you get rewards based off of, of how you did in that event. And then you put in a new uh, event that that's, you know, maybe a different map in, in a raid or something like that. That's um, getting people to puzzle solve a little bit differently. And then you have a, a big new feature uh, that hopefully um, uh, the players love uh, on that side. Interesting. Yeah. When you think about designing out your live ops calendar and such, um, especially in relation to these big things that are coming out, do you find that it's successful or useful to kind of communicate to players that, hey, this big change is coming or, um, do you, do you try to put like ebb and flow into your calendar? So you talked about burnout a little bit, like, you know, this big new thing coming out, chances are players are going to engage in it a lot. And then do you try to like limit the new challenges and things that come out for a little bit so that they're not feeling like, Oh, I have to spend my entire life in this game. Yeah, I think so. Um, and uh, again, it's one of those difficult things where more is more. So the more content you put out there, the, there, there will be some um, dissatisfaction from the players, but there also there's that who knows how big that percentage of the audience is versus the the silent majority that's just devouring it and having a, a good time. Um, <laughs> it's a bigger deal, I think, again, from the, the team standpoint and their pacing of having to create all that content and get it out um, uh, uh, burning wise. Uh, plus, you have the overall economy to consider, right? If you're if you're going hard with a lot of different big events, then you're blowing through your economy even at a, a faster rate. So, is it sustainable from that side too? Um, another thing to think about. But uh, yeah, we generally, you know, try and try and have something maybe once, twice a month. Um, uh, that's that's a smaller beat, and then something every three months. It's a bit bigger uh, on that side, which seemed to work well both from. Uh, you know, uh, an overall economy standpoint and the pace of number of the players and and the developers. Yeah. We, the other thing that, so you talked about like mentioning it to the players, we would do um, like two times a year, uh, a roadmap presentation to players, just saying like, here are the features that we're working on. Here are some of the, the top bugs we're working on to give them a bit of insight because uh, they they're playing the game. They love the game. Um, they have their pain points with it and just reinforcing like these are the things that are on our radar um, uh, lets them know that that's a concern for you and that that you're working through it. Uh, so I think that that's helpful as well. That's great. Have you, so one of my, uh, actually one of my first podcast guests ever, uh, Javier Barnes was uh, talking about the process they used in Monster Legends where he found that one of the best ways to get player feedback was he said, hey, every day, Friday at 1 p.m., I'm going to be on Discord for an hour. 
you can come talk with me. And he kind of invited all the top guilds or guild leaders or whatnot. And it was really nice for those players because they didn't have to send some ticket or nebulously like not knowing if somebody's going to look at it or whatnot. They knew, hey, Friday at this time, if I log in there, I can actually talk to the developer and, you know, share my thoughts, my concerns and feedback directly. Um, and he ended up creating this like really engaged group of players. Um, and they actually became really avid like QA testers and stuff too. So they, you know, released new cards that had new mechanics and stuff. And often these players would catch like bugs or, or random things that they, you know, had no idea about. It's like, oh, well, actually there's this card from way, way, way back that's just going to completely counter this thing and make it useless. Or, you know, this thing needs to change in an XYZ manner. Um, and he found that having that group of player feedback was like super essential in terms of live ops of the new content that they were creating. Um, did you ever do that with the existing players? Like I know you talked about going out to like other players of other games and stuff. Did you guys mm -hmm. do that with your, you know, clan leaders or, or whatnot? We did that for our big features um, mm -hmm. uh, many times. Um, and that was really valuable and, um, you know, uh, making some adjustments, finding out where some of the pain points were, um, solving those ahead of the releases. Is this something that they like? Is it, is it working in those uh, areas? The challenge on um, like kind of your day-to-day -day show and, and the smaller events is you're moving through that content so quickly. Like, you know, you, you don't really have time to, to get it, get it into test for a long time and, and get yeah. the next thing out. Um, just from a practicality standpoint, it'd be awesome if, you know, you could work that far ahead. Um, if anybody's doing that, I'd be, I'd be really curious. <laughs> See if they're able to do that and have people test it before, before going live. Um, uh, so yeah, with the bigger features for sure. And then, um, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So let's flip that on its head. I think sometimes when you're talking to players or people in general, survey questions, very difficult to write in a way that doesn't influence the answers. And, you know, anytime you're talking to a small subset of players, you might get biased answers that doesn't actually reflect anything. Have you ever, you know, listened to player feedback or asked questions or dug in and gone down the wrong road or, or made the wrong decisions? Um, yes. Uh, I think what happens there is um, you, you get feedback. I think a common one is, is um, the pinch is too tight or, or something along those lines. You know, we, the, the mode's fun, but I don't think the rewards are rewarding enough. Um, uh, and then you start adjusting that to, to meet that need. Um, and then it, it almost, it starts hurting the game, right? And, and the players from, from a retention standpoint, because now they're completing whatever that chase is faster. There's not the next thing lined up. Um, and you're like, oh man, now we've, now we've got to tighten it up after it's been exposed as, as looser. Um, or you got to come up with the next thing, uh, which, is, which is doubly hard. Uh, figure out what the next chase is if you've now flooded the game because of, because of you know, trying to act on that feedback. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest thing to watch out for. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely a tricky balance with, with free to play uh, from that reward standpoint of 
you know, I feel like I'm making progression and I'm having fun on on the 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 game that I'm playing versus I'm getting everything that I want right now, which is what I'm kind of screaming about. I want to either buy it or or just give it to me from from a bit of engagement. So you've got to dial that that knob, um, you know, pretty pretty well to sustain both sides. Yeah. Do you have any tips or tricks on ways to fight or avoid doing that? Um, like using machinations or an Excel spreadsheet to model out like, hey, I want players to play this a thousand times before they get to something. Um, and you can actually model out the general economy. Yeah, I, I typically use Excel. I know um, uh, machinations is a thing out there. Uh, I'm, I'm not uh, too versed up on it, um, but I'll use Excel. Um, I'll start with big numbers because they're easier to pull down again than, than going the other way. Like, um, you know, I know people right now are, are upset about Diablo, right? Um, and they, they can't get the, the end game crests. Uh, yep. When I had a very different reaction when I started playing Diablo, I'm like, I want to spend some money in this game and I don't know what to buy. They're not. It's so under monetized. I don't know why people yeah. are like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, and then I, I understand that there's some concern around these end game chases and rewards. And for me, it's like, that's, that's great. Blizzard now has a reward that they'll be able to dole out through live ops events that has a lot of value and excitement for the players. You know, what you see week one is not what you're going to see, you know, three months into the game. Uh, they'll be, yeah. they'll be doing other stuff as they start getting their baseline on, on it. Um, yeah, uh, so I, I think you start really high with your numbers. Um, you can pull back, make exciting content to give players for for live ops events, so their time is you know even more valuable when when they play those. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and and that's about it. Like I, I look for that length, and then uh, the other thing is you got to play it right. So you you might have thought that one gem uh, every fifty hours was fine on paper, and then you play and you go, well, that that was a terrible experience. I need to juice this a little bit more. Where it's, I've heard that from many game economists. Always play the build. <laughs> it's it's amazing how many few people play the build in development. And I think if there's one thing I could offer up to anybody is play your builds uh, in development um, before they go live. You'll you'll learn so much about it, and you'll be a better contributor to the team, knowing like how the things coming together and what the friction areas are um, from that experience, and and share really good insights with with everybody. Do you find, you know, thinking about live ops a little bit and continuing to add new content and stuff, um, have you ever ran into issues where you've negatively impacted the new player experience because there's just so much for them to learn or they're encountering things maybe before they should and it's, you know, kind of wasting all that UA spend because people are like, oh, what's going on? And they just kind of churn. Trying to think, um, we were very conscious um, of what that early, early experience was and to not mess with it. And I think actually to the detriment, you, like you actually wanna go back and, and re-look at that, especially after a few years being out, you know, how do we, the, the, the road to get to the end of the game now is, is double, tripled. Um, we can be making that beginning part much more exciting and much more rewarding by giving players a lot more progression uh, early on. You're going to have to test it and see that um, um, they retain just as well. Uh, they should, um, but you, you need to go back and like 
look at some of those early experiences and see if you have room to improve uh, the overall game. But we were pretty protective of that and not um, releasing new stuff um, until further on. And then we'd check it to see did those moments um, impact KPIs negatively. Um, one of the, the features uh, that I thought was going to do really well that I was really excited about was getting real-time competition in for elder players. Um, uh, we, we tried that out. Um, it, it's still going. Um, I think there's still room there uh, as people are, are looking at improving the game and like making that uh, a better, more integrated experience. Um, we took a swing that, that didn't quite work and those moments are going to happen. And you look at it and go like, did it, did it break the game? Do we have something to, to learn from? And, you know, you kind of pick your next path from that. Yeah. I, I remember uh, one time I was working on a game and I don't know how this oversight happened. They'd like change something in the store um, otherwise, but suddenly uh, what they needed for the new player experience was no longer available. And in order to progress, the players actually had to make a hard purchase, like I kid you not, like 30 seconds into the game. And revenue on new players actually skyrocketed because I mean, retention tanks, because most people just were like, well, I'm not doing this. Um, but they're like, oh, yeah, we made this change and it's great for new players. And it took a few weeks before people were like, what's going on with our retention? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that stuff's going to happen. And I think that's why it's really important to keep playing through that beginning flow too development mm -hmm. it's not just about where you're at the end but kind of doing both what's the what's the late game experience what's the new game experience and um, you want to keep checking that funnel you know every couple of months at the very least um, see that you haven't introduced something negative there uh, check your analytics all the time um, if there's anything going on in the funnel uh, that you can go back and try and address yeah and we're talking with a, a test or two originally so yeah this is great um, speaking of testing and live ops and things, have you ever seen any live ops events cause unforeseen issues? Like, I don't know, let, let's say you set up a, uh, a reconversion campaign where you try to email a player or like show them an ad, trying to get them back and you set up some very special stuff, but you also had your regular day-to-day -day live ops stuff set up and they ended up conflicting with each other in you know, unforeseen ways. Not so much that that I can recall. The biggest thing that that I think every game works through on this live ops side is when you put out rewards or an offer that had a bug in it, had a couple zeros off. Right. Um, there was one point shortly after we went out um, where we did, um, you know, gold in the game, and gold is something that you always need. It's it's just evergreen um, uh, as far as uh, part of the in game chase to develop your characters, and. I forget what it was, but it was like the offer went out for five bucks and it was, you know, $500 worth of, of gold uh, for that. And a few people bought it. And so we had a decision to make of, um, do we like somehow take that back from those players that spent that money? Um, there's no way to refund them and that gets tricky. Uh, so almost on a case by case basis, we'd look at it and go like, if we, did something with this where we gave it out to all players or we made it a legitimate offer would it break the game and most of the time no it's not um if you have your your tent poles deep enough uh so we you know we looked at it and went like all right let's let's make this right we'll make it something exciting and so this 
a massive amount of gold. We ended up like running a, a calendar for 30 days where we gave out, you know, several hundred dollars worth of, of gold um, during, during that period and, and a few low cost offers. And between the two, you would, you would net the amount of gold that those, those guys got for, for that price. So everybody could keep up if they, they wanted to, and it didn't kind of destroy the competition side. Uh, we didn't claw anything back, but we used it as a moment to make the game more exciting during that period. Um, another, another awesome moment was I told you about dark dimension, the end game chase. Uh, when the, the first person to beat that challenge, kind of like ready player one, um, we really celebrate, they get their name, uh, in an environment, um, they get to pick, uh, hundred shards of any character to give out to the players. They pick other different events. Uh, and so with the first one, we were just about to release captain Marvel. Uh, the movie had just come out and everything they knew captain Marvel was coming. And the player said, all right, well, I'd like to give out 100 shards of Captain Marvel to everybody. And it was like, oh, man, we didn't, you know, write the rules strict enough to omit that type of thing. Uh, we discussed it. And we we're like, you know what, let's let's go ahead and do it. Um, so, again, we put together a couple week long calendar where we ended up giving out the 100 shards. Uh, we honored you know, the person's wish for that. Um, the community was blown away that we, we gave out this brand new character. Um, and uh, um, it all it all worked out all right at the end. And then we updated our rules next time we ran the event so that it was better to find which characters you could pick. Yeah, that's so those, those moments are really exciting. They get the, the community talking about like what's going to happen with this. Yeah, and even though you gave out the content, the community probably actually loved the game all the more for it. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. Um. So I do want to talk, looping back a little bit again, to feature development. So I think there's two challenges that I see a lot of games face. And we sort of covered on the first one, which is how do, how do I figure out which game to make entirely altogether? And then there's this whole idea of feature development. Um, <clears throat> so take like the battle pass. Um, there's probably probably now thousands of different ways that the battle pass has been implemented. What is the right way or should it even be done in the context of your game to add a battle pass? Um, what sort of values are you going to have? How do you analyze that? Figure out, you know, which ones, you know, you should do that. You know, I think there's sensor tower and app Annie and, and other things like that to help you on the overall hierarchy of stuff. But at least I haven't seen anything that like breaks down of here's how this game implemented the feature and here was like the performance and the reaction, player sentiment, you know, X, Y, Z after that to iron in on, okay, for strategy games, here were the top five battle passes. So maybe I iron in on those and try to understand what's there. Um, what's your general process for thinking up a new feature idea and then figuring out how to actually implement it? Um, I, I, I look at it from, you know, uh, what's, what am I trying to improve, right? Is, is this a thing where we're just trying to make a better overall experience um, that, that helps players out, um, improves the quality of the game? So something like save squads is a perfect thing for that, right? Like I'm tired of managing my roster. I can save out my squads and, and I'm um, improving the quality of my experience. Um, is it something that's trying to drive regularity and retention and, and I need to show up every day to, to engage with this? Um, maybe something that, that ties into alliances would be really good for that. Um, is it something you're trying to improve monetization with, you know, battle pass or whatnot? Um, 
So you, you just kind of start with um, maybe what, what the problem is that you're trying to solve or what the thing is, the opportunity that is that you're trying to improve on. Um, what's a new experience that you can offer up in the game. I find um, one of the things that, that we can do with mobile um, is really make exciting moments, both positively exciting and negatively exciting moments happen um, that get people talking um, and feel emotion uh, about it. Um, you look at, um, you know, uh, uh, unlocking a new character in a game, right? And you you get the the chest and it pops open and it's like, oh my gosh, I got the new character at five stars. And, you know, you see streamers just put out content like crazy on that and, and how excited they are about those moments or even the, the offset. Oh, I got another duplicate of this character and kind of the whammy um, moment when you get a war going and you have that real close fight at the end of it and are we going to win or are we going to lose and the emotion that comes with that um so that's all to say like if you can figure out like are, are people going to be emotional about these features and the excitement of winning or the excitement of losing or or what they're getting i think that that um can go really strong to to get people you know to, to love your game more um and then, yeah, you're you're looking at whatever comps are out there, trying to see whatever data is provided. Um, I think when we were dialing in our battle pass, I was just looking around, what's the price point that everybody's using? Um, you know, and again, if you start off too low at like, let's say $5, you know, it's hard to go back and retrofit that without um, making the players upset. So you take your best guess based on what's out there and what kind of price point you're, you're seeing them spend that in the game currently and um, try and land on that. Um, you can iterate after you go live, um, um, but you got to be careful about that with players because you've already kind of set some expectations. So can you completely rejigger it? And it's a new event um, that's tied to whatever those rewards are. And, you know, I think that's a bit more forgiving. Oh, it's a new experience. It's different than the one that they ran before. And so I don't have a direct comparison. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are those are some of the the big things. Is like, why are you going after it? What new experience are you going to offer up? And um, um, again, for something like a hero collector, why do I need? Um, how does this tie back to the characters and part of the core game loop and make that um, a more interesting experience? That's amazing. I can't believe we're pretty much out of time here, but we've probably got time for one last question. And because we are on the Master Retention Podcast, I always like to ask, you know. What's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years to increase retention or regularity? You know, how do you keep players coming back for longer? Be that, you know, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Yeah, uh, I, I go back to just kind of the notion of regularity and putting on a show. How are you going to do something new every day um, with the biggest thing being social and in a way where I need to fulfill an obligation with my alliance that only I can do. Um, if I'm going to let you down, I'm going to be more inclined to stick around to, to you know, honor our friendship um, in that way and, and have more fun with the game because, because of those social bonds. Um, uh, so I think social uh, that I have to kind of do something with every day, every other day uh, is, is probably the biggest thing uh, I can think of. I agree. You just described why I stuck around the Clash of Clans and Clash Royale for an extra few years. <laughs> that uh, responsibility to the guild. Uh, love it. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if people do have any questions or, or want to learn more about, um, you know, Fox Bear or whatnot, is there a good way for them to get in contact with you? 
Yeah, I'm up on LinkedIn, um, Jonathan Durr. Uh, you know, you can find me there and shoot me a message. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Tom. Cheers.